Hey there, welcome to the Pretty Little Tribe podcast, a space to talk about all things life, fertility, parenthood, and everything in between. My name is Elizabeth. I am an international fertility coach, ICF certified life coach, birth and bereavement doula, and new parent educator. Join us as we support the tribe throughout their journey from conception to bringing your new baby home and everything along the way. See you in the episode. Welcome back to the Pretty Little Tribe podcast. Today we have Rachel Nielsen from the amazing 3 and 30 podcast. I'm so excited to have her here. Thank you for coming, Rachel. Can you tell us, first of all, what does 3 and 30 mean? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And 3 and 30 is three takeaways in a 30-minute episode. Um, when, when I was a new mom and I was listening to podcasts, I I felt like they had so much wisdom, but they were long and the takeaways were kind of buried in there. And I wanted something that was just very actionable and because, you know, in and out moms are busy, like let's get this done. And so I couldn't find a podcast like that. So I decided to start one. That's where the idea came from. Love it. I feel like that's like the cliff notes of like, okay, let's just get to what we need to know and and move on because we're so busy. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. And Tell us a little bit about your history. Where do you live? All that good stuff too. Yeah. So I live in Idaho in Haley, Idaho. It's right near Sun Valley. So I'm in the mountains. Beautiful. beautiful. I'm obsessed with where I live. Um, I did not grow up here, but I'm like now a full Idahoan through and through. Really? Um, Yeah. I grew up in Colorado, which is also a beautiful state. Uh So, um, and I have two children. One, I call them my miracle babies, even though they are not babies. Um, anymore. My son is almost 10 and he is adopted and my daughter is six and she was conceived with IVF. So we have been through the gamut with infertility options and treatments. And I actually want to have another baby, which feels a little wild because there just be such a big gap, but I'm hoping to do IVF again in the fall and see if I can get one more miracle here. So Absolutely. I just got goosebumps. That's awesome. Whenever I get goosebumps, that's my sign of like, yes, this is, you're on the right track. That's so fun. I'm excited about that. And I'm, I don't know about your birth order, but I'm last and seven years beyond. Oh, really? So we're four girls. I'm the youngest by seven years. And I always tell people that have these big gaps, like don't hesitate about that. We are best friends. It's so awesome. And when they're older, you know, nothing, the age doesn't matter, you know? Yeah. Well, thank you. That's really reassuring because I do think about that and worry about that. I have two sisters, but we're all fairly close in age and we're so close that I've wondered like, what will this be like? And some people say like, you're crazy. Why would you go back? You're kind of in like the, the easy years of parenting, you know, no more diapers and, and, but I still like yearn for another one. Like I'm, and I'm 37, so I'm getting older. I'm like, let's just do this. I'm not going to wait around anymore. So we're doing it. We're going to give it a try. Yeah. And I always say like, it's, it's you that has the knowing about, about it. It's a knowing it's not necessarily like how you sometimes you can't explain it. Like, yes, I do have kids that are out of diapers and whatever, but I just have this knowing that I, I need to do this. Right. And that yeah. was for me too, having three kids over 40, it was like, everything said no, but yeah. I just had this knowing that that's the way our family was meant to be. And so I kept forging on until we had that. So that's amazing. I'm super excited for you. Um, yeah. so tell us about that journey initially when, you know, 
obviously you mentioned your son is adopted, but how did you get, did you guys just go straight to the adoption? Did you know you always wanted to adopt? What? Yeah. So I knew from the time I was a teenager that I would probably struggle to get pregnant. I had very, very irregular periods. Um, I have PCOS. I don't know if they told me that at the time or if they just, I think they did tell me that, that that's what it was PCOS and that Mm -hmm. I would possibly struggle to get pregnant. And I feel grateful. No, that I knew because so many women face infertility, like they go into it and they're, they go into trying to build a family and they're totally blindsided. But I do feel like I had years of kind of mental preparation. And, um, even when my husband and I, when we were getting serious and talking about getting married, I told him this could be a challenge. And he was Mm -hmm. on board. I said, we might need to adopt. He was on board. And so, um, when we decided to start trying to build our family, we decided to do adoption and infertility treatments at the same time. Mm -hmm. And we were just like, whatever happens first is meant to be. And, um, I was probably 25 when we started that. And I just think like young and innocent, like like in a good way, you know, I was just like, yeah, I did not realize how hard both of those paths were and to do them both at the same time was incredibly intense. And like, looking back, I'm like, Whoa, why did I do that to myself? But I'm just like, I want to be a mom and let's make this happen. And so we did both at the same time. And and did you know anybody who had done either at that time? Um, I actually had quite a few friends who had done IVF or were in the process of, which was I was grateful to have some friends who were in the trenches with me doing it. Um, they were a few mm-hmm. years older than me. Um, and they were, you know, trying for not their first child, but, but children after that. And, but I had never had anyone close to me adopt. So that was a new experience for me. And so emotionally intense. I didn't realize that there would be so many. And we had a lot of contacts from expectant moms who were considering adoption, um, that would, you know, we'd talk to, and we'd really get to know and fall in love with. And then they either decided to parent or they chose a different couple And so that was like the constant up and down of like, will this happen? Are we going to be parents? No. And then I was also doing infertility treatments that weren't working. And so I was having all the, and I had, was taking fertility medication. So my emotions were already going crazy from that. And then we had all these adoption disappointments and it was a kind of a brutal two years, um, before we, before we got our Noah. So. I imagine. And that I was just going to ask you, what was that time frame? So two years from when you started both IVF and looking into fertility, I mean, adoption. Yeah, it was about okay. that, I would say, um, which to some people might sound kind of fast, but when you're in it, it was, I mean, I did about 11 rounds of IUIs, which oh. why, like why now my fertility <laughs> doctor who I is now like, that's not even all the research shows that after, you know, a certain point, it's not effective to keep trying that, but yeah. yeah. So there was that and an ectopic pregnancy oh, in there and oh, the adoption disappointments. And then we got Noah and, and he's our miracle and he's so worth it, but it was yeah. very, very intense. And so then three years later or two years later, I guess, when I knew we wanted to add another one, I skipped to the IUIs. I'm like, we're not doing that again. <laughs> we went straight to IVF and got Sally. Um, and I feel like it was fairly straightforward because I was so fortunate that it was the first round of IVF. Okay. And, um, I know a lot of women have to yeah. do that a lot more in order to get their miracles. So, so then we had her, so 
Fantastic. And yeah. so you mentioned that with Noah, it was an open adoption. Can you tell our listeners what that means and how that plays out in your day-to-day life? Yeah. So open adoption is just where the the child knows who the parent knows his parents to some or her parents to some degree or another. Mm-hmm. Every open adoption is very different as far as how open it is. It might just be that the only thing the child knows is like his parents' names and maybe has a picture. Um, or it might be that the birth parents live down the block and are over frequently. You know, it just totally mm-hmm. depends on the situation and what everybody and what they call the adoption triad is comfortable with. So the birth parent, the child, and the adoptive parent is the, is the triad. And did you feel that you, you guys, you and your husband were kind of on the same page with the adoptive mother as well, or the birth mother? mother, Um, Yes. Um, yes, we were, my husband and I were on the same page that we were very open to the idea of open adoption. It didn't, Uh um, it didn't like worry us or scare us at all. And and we felt that it would be the best thing for our son if he Mm -hmm. knew and had a relationship with his birth parents to whatever degree they were comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And, um, that is definitely proven to be true that I think it has been a huge blessing to him to know the story of where he comes from, to know his birth parents. So we have a quite open adoption. Um, we see them multiple times a year. His birth mother actually passed away several years ago. Mm. And that was, so it was such a treasure to have those years and those memories and the photos of him with his birth mom. Um, and we're so fortunate that we're still very close to his birth dad, which is unusual in adoption. A lot of times birth dads are never really ever in the picture. Mm -hmm. And his birth dad is an incredible person and mentor in my son's life and comes every year for his birthday. And they just like mountain bike and hang out. And I mean, Drew's young, Drew was 18 when Noah was born. So he's more of like a fun uncle figure than, um, a father figure. And he just embraces that role and is a good role model to Noah and Noah loves and adores him. So it's been really beautiful. Open adoption has been great. Tearing up as she's talking about this on so many levels, because it's just so beautiful. What a gift for Noah to have so much love in his life and to feel that, you know, no, no void on in any form of that, which yeah. is such the stigma for so many years around adoption. I feel like, right. Like they have yes. to go through this whole process of like, I wasn't wanted and da, 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 da. And he knows everything, right. Yes, and, and, and absolutely. So loved and somebody to show up for him, mm-hmm. you know, every year and, and in other ways, that's incredible. Like really, truly such a blessing and so beautiful. It is such a blessing. I feel like I often say that nothing has taught me more about love than open adoption Mm -hmm. because I've just learned that there's not a limit to love. It's not like this commodity that you have to hoard or think like if my child loves his birth parents, then he doesn't love me. Like that's not the way it works. I was just going to ask you, were you ever at any point threatened by that situation? Yeah. No, I mean, wouldn't love you, but like, Yeah. I mean, it's hard. It's, it's a hard relationship to navigate and it has to be different for every situation because in some cases there may be 
you know, cases where as much as you want the open adoption, it it's just not safe for the child, or it's not emotionally safe for the birth parents to have that much contact. Like you just have to navigate it all. It was a struggle the first couple of years of Noah's life to just figure out like what kind of, we had to navigate and, and figure out what our relationship was going to be. It wasn't like before he was born, we could just know like, okay, these are when the visits are going to happen. And, mm-hmm. and we, you don't have like a written out contract. You kind of figure that out as, as okay. you go along. And Katie, his birth mom was 16. She had just turned 17 when he was born. And so she was a teenager. And so she was navigating being a teenager. And mm-hmm. so there was some, there was some challenge at the beginning of us figuring out like how much can she post on social media mm-hmm. and stuff? Cause she would post and say like, I miss my baby. Mm-hmm. And then I would have, you know, a lot of feelings about like, is it good for her to see him or is it just prolonging her grief? And is this healthy? And then I have to navigate kind of my own possessiveness. And mm-hmm. I went to therapy about that and realized that like I said, that there's not a limit to love and it's okay. He can be her baby and my baby and it's okay. And, um, luckily we were at a really beautiful, um, place. We like had come through that and had just formed this really close, close relationship before she passed away. Cause I think I would have had a lot of regrets if I had in any way pushed her away or kept Mm -hmm. her out of Noah's life. Mm -hmm. Um, when she passed away, she, she died of mental illness. So it was a very, very tragic and hard, um, situation and so much grief for all of us. The only like thing that gave me comfort was knowing like we loved her fully and Mm -hmm. we, she knew she was fully loved by us and by Noah. And I have no regrets. And that gave me a lot of peace. And I'm so grateful. I'll be able to tell Noah that, and he'll be able to see those pictures where her love is so evident in her eyes and in her face with him. So it's been really beautiful. That is amazing. And kudos to you to be able to look past that and, and seek help to figure out how to work through that, you know, mm-hmm. as far as that, because I imagine that's real, especially at the beginning, right? I don't know how the rules are in Idaho, but you know, how long they have to make up their mind and then how, what, all those things that go around it, even yeah. as simple, I mean, no comparison, but I know oftentimes people will say to me with my kids, with the nannies, like, my gosh, don't you feel threatened that your kids love the nanny so much? I'm like, no, that's my best case scenario. I want as many people to love them as they can. And they're spending so much time with them. I don't absolutely feel as, at all. It's like, please love on my kids. And yes, please, you know, as whatever. And I think that's part of kind of having that confidence as a parent too, is just knowing that you have that bond and no matter what, you know, they are going to come back to you because they're your children. Yeah. Um, And there's enough love to go around, right? There is. I have a really good friend who went through a divorce recently and it's been really hard. The divorce has been hard. The situation surrounding it was really painful. And, um, she said to me, I was, I said something kind of snarky trying, you know, trying to be supportive about her ex-husband and his new wife and just how, you know, anyway, <laughs> I, I wasn't being my best self, but just saying, <laughs> and she said, she's like, no, she's like, as tempting as it is for me to want to think that way, that doesn't help my kids. She's like, that's their new mom. And 
I, I want their marriage to thrive and I want them to do well, because if they do well, my kids do well. And if she, if she loves my kids, my kids do well. Like I want everything in that relationship to be good for the sake of my kids. And I was like, holy cow, that is emotional maturity, you know? Like, so here I say like, open adoption has taught me more about love than anything, but I think there's lots of situations in life where we learn that it's only going to bless our kids if we give grace and if we love, and if we want the best for all of the people that are in their life. A thousand percent. I mean, and you know, with your own children as, as their kids, that's all they know is love, right? It's yes. Society and whatever that teaches them not otherwise, unfortunately. So as long as we can keep them in that little love bu- bubble for as long as possible, you know, they just want to give everybody a big hug and, and love on them for as long as possible. And I think, oh, just, yeah, you know, within reason, of course, you know, that it's safe, but making sure that they can stay in that headspace of, of letting in that love, I think is so great. Yeah. And feeling it's so important for them to feel fully loved and cherished by all of the adults in their life. And if we can help to facilitate that, it's always going to be a blessing. And, and honestly, it's not just that it was a blessing to Noah. It's been a huge blessing to me, my relationship with Katie and Drew. I genuinely love them as like independent of Noah. Like I love them as people and I've learned so much from them and I'm so grateful that they're in my life. That's incredible. And so again, for people that are listening, did you do a agency adoption or an attorney? What was that like for you too? We did, we did go through an agency. Um, and, but then ended up, um, Katie is actually my, my mother-in-law's cousin's daughter. So she's my husband's second cousin. So even though we went, that's, that sounds so complicated, but it actually is fairly close when, um, you know, you break it down. So she found out about us through a Christmas card. My mother-in-law wrote in her Christmas card that we were going through the adoption process and she had just found out she was pregnant. She hadn't even told her parents yet. And she was like reading through the family Christmas letters and she saw that and she just thought, huh, that's an option. And so then when she did tell her parents she was pregnant and that she wanted to do adoption, she told them, I saw something in a Christmas card and they hadn't even seen the Christmas card. And she brought them the Christmas card and said they, and she didn't know we were related. So she had seen the Christmas card. She read it. She brought it to her parents and said, we could look at these people. And they said, Katie, these are our cousins. Like we're related to them. So it ended up being really special. We have that family connection. So we still see her family often, um, at least once a year, sometimes twice, um, because of that family at kind of family reunions and stuff. That's so great. That's so great. And then how does your daughter deal with, like, is, do they just know, you know, I'm an IVF baby. He's an, he's adopted and yeah, there's no thing. Does she feel like, well, I want another dad too. (laughs) Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Conversation. She gets mad that Drew isn't also her birth dad, (laughs) (laughs) Um, especially when she was younger, you know, she's, Uh she's six now, but like, you know, when she was three and four and Drew would come to visit and he's so wonderful and he treats her just the same. Like he brings gifts for both of them and he just like loves on them. And she would say, Drew is my birth dad. And I'd say, no, daddy is your birth dad, but Drew is like your uncle. He's uncle Drew, you know, Uh no, he's my birth dad. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, that's been 
that's been, you know, totally fun. It's been fine. It's been good to navigate that and just explain to them the difference between what adoption is and what IVF is. And, um, I do worry my kids are young enough that I haven't seen this yet, but I do worry that there may, as they grow up, become some insecurities in Noah because he's adopted and Sally's biological. Um, I'm trying, I try to be very aware of that and Mm -hmm. in the way that we parent. And I think what's natural with sibling rivalry that happens with all biological siblings might be, um, augmented by the fact that he was adopted. I don't know, but I do sometimes wonder even now about some little dynamics Mm -hmm. and things that I'm seeing. And so it's just something to continue to be aware of, I think, and, um, talk about and, he actually sees a counselor fairly regularly. And we started that after his birth mom passed away. Mm -hmm. And so he just has like a place to kind of process. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. once a month or however much he needs it. And so we'll just navigate it as it comes. So that's where we're at. I just love that, you know, our generation is so much more self-aware to say like, oh, my son needs to talk to somebody about this, or I need to talk to somebody about this because it's so different than the way we grew up really, as far as, you know, now we know better so we can do better and yes. those things, which I think is such an amazing gift that we have as this generation, right? With yeah. all the education that we have at our fingertips through the internet and whatnot, you know, it's, it's so true. We Even really have te- no excuse to, you know, not do what's best for our children. Yeah. I mean, a, the adoption world was so different even 15 years ago. Um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful to live in a time where there's so much education around what, what's best for kids, how to navigate these conversations. Yeah. You know, in previous generations, you might not even know you were adopted. Your parents might not even tell you that. And then it becomes this bombshell later in life versus Noah always knowing his story, I think is going to be a really big blessing. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you mentioned doing another round of IVF. Are you, would you ever consider adopting again as well? Or is it just kind of, well, do IVF if that doesn't work then? Yeah. I would definitely consider adopting again. I think, I feel like, especially when I consider the dynamics in the family, I, I think it would be really cool for Noah to get to have a sibling that's also adopted for him to kind of get to be a part of the experience of adopting. Um, we'll just see, I guess. I, I think because of if, if we do end up getting a baby from IVF because of that gap between Sally, my daughter, who will be probably eight, Um, And then that baby, it would make sense for us if we want to have maybe do IVF and then adopt. Um, Mm -hmm. My husband's all about having like a, he would love like a million kids. And I'm like, uh, I don't know about that. Like maybe we can have two more. We'll just see, but we'll just start with just one more and then we'll see. (laughs) So, and if IVF doesn't work, um, I do have frozen embryos that that's kind of why I'm like. I want to start with IVF so that we can use those embryos. And then if it doesn't work, then obviously we know that the love you feel for an adopted child is the exact same. That's the thing. Sometimes people, you know, will ask about that. And I'm like, I've I've literally had the experience with both and there's zero difference between my love for my adopted child. And so I can see that it would very much be in the cards for us to do it again in the future if, if that's what we decide to do. Yeah. I love that you say that because I have so many clients that are, you know, have gone down the IVF road for a lot of years and are, 
thinking, do we do, you know, donor egg or, or embryo adoption and or regular adoption, but then they're concerned about lots of different things. Will I love them like they are my own? And, or if they have their own child biological already, is it going to be an issue that they don't look alike and all of these things? And I always say, you know, talk to somebody who has one of yes. these or has gone through it and, and, or go look at them at the park and see how they interact with their children. And you will see that again, the love, there's no difference in love. There's no boundary of like, who's what, whatever you just love on those babies. Oh yeah. No matter what, you know, definitely. And I'm glad yeah. that you point that out because, you know, it's at some point it comes back to, do you want to be a parent? Right. And, and, and whatever path that that gets you there, whether that's adoption and or IVF or natural, whatever it may be, it's mm -hmm. still just being a parent. And for some people seeing those examples is what changes their mind, right? It's for yeah. hearing those stories to say, I don't, I don't love my son any more than my daughter because there is no difference. And so, you know, it's like, oh, okay. Because a lot of us don't have that experience of hearing those stories or seeing people at the park. And a lot of times they don't, you know, there's not a sign around them that says my son is adopted or whatever, right. you know, yeah, so absolutely. having these conversations, I feel like is so important because people are in so much pain emotionally trying to make these big life decisions mm -hmm. when really it comes down to, you know, you are capable of loving a baby in whatever form that that baby comes to you. Yeah. And I have a friend who she had a biological child and then, um, they, they went through secondary infertility and her husband was very resistant to adoption. Mm -hmm. He really felt like he wouldn't be able to love that baby as much. And he didn't want to do that to that baby. Like he was like, I, you know, I, I, he just, his, his, un, his fears were understandable and yeah. I think came from a good place. Um, after 10 or 11 years of wanting another and, and they, they adopted. And it's like the joy of my life to see him with that baby because Aww. he had such reservations yeah. and he, they have since adopted two babies and it. he is just in love with those babies, you know? I, and I knew all along having been an adopted mom <laughs> right. when yeah. they would kind of talk to me about it. I'm like, this, this just isn't founded, but I understand it. But yeah. Um, so then to see him so smitten with these babies is really joyful for me. So yeah, that is cool. Again, I think just raising the awareness around all these conversations, right? The IVF, miscarriage loss, adoption, all of those things just makes it more normal where when people do want to approach that versus it really wasn't talked about to your point 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, Yeah, that it was kind of a thing. And now I, I'm happy to hear more conversations happening often around yes, this situation. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit more about 30 and three and 30 and yeah. what kind of information can people find there? So even if people are not quite yet a parent, is there still information that's helpful for them? Yeah. Um, I feel like so many of my episodes, so it is like, you know, it is geared towards mothers. And I say mm -hmm. three takeaways in 30 minutes to help women love motherhood as much as they love their children. That's kind of my, my tagline because, I, because after I fought so hard for these babies, um, I was surprised by how hard motherhood, motherhood was. I loved my children so much, so fiercely, and I did not love motherhood, particularly stay at home motherhood 
was really hard for me. I had given up my career as a teacher thinking I fought for these babies and I'm just going to love every minute and savor it all. And I was home with them and I'm like, wow, this is really hard. And so I started three and 30 as a way to keep teaching Mm -hmm. um, while also being home with them and have just found a lot of fulfillment in helping other women to see it's okay. If you don't love everything about motherhood, you can still love, love your babies and create a motherhood that really fits you. And you don't have to be a stay-at-home mom. If that doesn't fit you, you can be a stay-at-home mom. If that's what you want and that's what fits you. And, and, and to your original question, a lot of my episodes though, when I, when I look at them, I'm like, this really has nothing to do with motherhood. It's all about like developing the woman that you are. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I do think that there are a lot of episodes in there that would help women. You can just scan the titles, you know, to see, is this something that would apply to me? There are a lot of episodes about developing who you are and building on your strengths and, and developing good habits and routines in your life and preparing for, you know, the opportunity. Hopefully I know most of all of your clients are hoping to be mothers and um, preparing for that, for Mm -hmm. when that happens for them. Yeah. I often, sometimes people will say, you know, it's, it's, I'm not a mom, right? So I don't want to listen to this or I don't, it's not relevant to me. And I feel like I always tell them to get into the idea of you will be a mom, right? So you're going to be a mom. It's helpful to listen to this. I, I get it. Sometimes it can be triggering, but they, you know, you decide where that is, but also all of this information and knowledge is power. And when you especially have gone through struggles to get pregnant, you have this idea of, I'm not allowed to say that it's hard, right? And 1000%. Yeah. Um, (laughs) God forbid I complain to my husband because I'm the one that wanted these three kids. And he's like, well, this is what you wanted. So too bad. So sad for you. That's not what my husband says, but in my, my own voice, that's what I say. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, but I think that it is so helpful. I, I also do an expecting moms class because when I had my first baby, again, I was 41 no one I knew was having kids at that age. And I was like, why didn't anybody tell me this before? You know, at least if I could have had the, you know, I have heard about this before, then it wouldn't have been so traumatic for me after I had it. Right. So I try to get this geared up because also the postpartum is a higher risk. If you've gone through fertility or whatnot, because you've identified with not having a baby for so long and all of a sudden you have this baby and you're like okay now what do I do I don't need to try anymore I don't need to you know track my ovulation I don't need to go see a doctor to see what's happening oh yeah and I think all of those things of just getting yourself prepared from a mental standpoint and taking on the the wisdom from mothers that have gone before you that are willing to give in these podcasts like three and thirty are really helpful and and go to it with an open mind, right? Of like, what, what nugget can I get from this to make me a better mom? Because it's happening. It's just a matter of how I get there. You know, it may not look mm-hmm. like you expect, but you will be a parent. It's just about us figuring out how you get there. And when you do, we want you to be prepared, right? Yeah. So I love that you have that approach of like, you will be a mom because that is how I always felt. Like people ask, you know, how did you hold on to hope? And I'm like, I, I never doubted that I would be a mom. I knew I would be a mom. I didn't know how it would happen, right? but I knew I wasn't going to stop until it happened. And I would keep doing adoption. I would keep pursuing every, maybe there, 
there's some level of control you don't have over your body. You can't say like, I will keep doing fertility treatments until this happens. Like maybe it will never happen, but there's other avenues to become a mom. And I knew that I wasn't going to stop until one of those things came to, came to be. And so I love that you just kind of vocalized that and said like, have that hope of it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. And it would be so nice if we just could like get a little telegram from God that was like in one year on this day, it will happen. Like when I was in and when I was going through the treatments and everything, that was the biggest thing is I was like, if I just knew the timeline, I could have so much more peace, but that's not the way it works, unfortunately. And, and hang in there and get through. And yes, after that baby, that miracle comes home there may be a lot of feelings around that. I felt a lot of people would say to me, oh, you must be enjoying every minute of this after how hard you fought and, and you're, you know, that, you know, that beautiful teenage girl giving you this gift, this baby, and you must just be loving it all. And I'm like, ah, like I'm not, he's super colicky. It's very hard. And then I felt guilt about knowing that Katie was hurting and Mm -hmm. I was hurting and Noah was crying. And it was just, it was a rough, rough time. It um, is a lot. And, and so you providing those conversations for parents to say like, it's hard, you know? Yes. Granted, there's some people that have amazing, like angelic babies. I didn't have that, but no, I didn't either. It's hard. You know, <laughs> if you, if you know that that is how you're getting into it and, and it's okay that it's hard and it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to cry and it's okay to seek, you know, people to come in to help you because you will get through it, but just, you know, be honest with yourself and, and do that self-care as much as you possibly can during it. Right. Because you have to keep yourself, you know, you said you were a stay-at-home mom. You have to still keep who you are right in the midst of like not sleeping and changing clothes, diapers and bottles or for nursing or whatever you're doing. Yes. It's just, it's not easy. And but everybody gets through it. And I think the more support that you can have and allow into your life, the better. Yes. And the emotional and mental health tools. I know you're a life coach and it's so, so wise for women to reach out to a therapist, to a life coach, to someone that can help them process what these changes and all these feelings that they're having. I went to, th- I started going to therapy when Noah was about a year And I should have gone so much sooner. I mean, I should have gone earlier in my life, even before infertility. But Mm -hmm. when I finally went, I think it was because I could see that my struggles were impacting the way that I could, that I could mother. And so for all of these years, I'd sort of said, I'm fine. I can get by. I don't need help. And then all of a sudden I was like, for the sake of this little baby, I need help. And I went to therapy and it was absolutely life-changing. And I would recommend it to any new mom to process what you're going through. Yeah. I I thank you for stating that because I think people, we want to think that we can do it all. Right. And I always say, even if you have a standing like one month, every once a month appointment, you know, just as a check-in that, you know, is there. And then when things are tough, you add more. And if you get to that one month and it's like, I'm actually good. And we're talking and just chatting about nothing, then good for you. Right. But at least you feel like you have that that check-in of knowing it's something that you're doing for yourself and just keeping yourself on track and your marriage. I mean, it's hard on a relationship. Oh yeah. You know, whatever. (laughs) But um, but yeah, people will say to me like, this was a godsend. I didn't even realize that I needed this until I had it. And 
and the confidence that they have just going into becoming a mother because they are aware of all these things is so wonderful, you know? So absolutely. Anyway, well, thank you for your time today, Rachel. It was so good to speak with you. Yes. Thank you for having me. Um, three and 30 takeaways for moms podcast. And I'm also on Instagram at three and 30 podcast. And I love to connect with the women in my community there. So come on over and say hi. Awesome. Well, have a great rest of your week and we will chat soon. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pretty Little Tribe podcast. Follow up on Instagram at the Pretty Little Tribe or at Elizabeth King underscore coaching for updates, resources, and a community to connect with. If you are looking for extra support and tools to guide you along your TTC and parenting journey, visit elizabethking.com. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast everywhere you're listening for a chance to receive a special gift. Visit elizabethking.com backslash pretty little tribe podcast for more information on how to enter. Any review counts. I just appreciate your honest feedback so I can provide you with the best support possible in your TTC and parenthood journey. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week.